The Naive Theater of the Air presents Rewired by Matthew Broyles. Episode 13, The Prince of Darkness is a Gentleman. James Barrett hunched over his desk, reviewing the recording once more. It remained somewhat fuzzy, but at 2.17, there was that brief moment of clarity. The black eyes, the squat gray form looming long-armed on his shoulder as he spoke to the patient. A wide-eyed captive from Queens. Pair the video with the technical data, and he had solid evidence. The first of its kind. He allowed himself a satisfied grin, although he knew that this was only the beginning of what was to come. The road which lay ahead was strewn with craters and long knives. And words, of course. Words from every direction. Which was why he had been focused so intently on getting video. A person could be talked into and out of many things, but it was much more difficult to disbelieve one's eyes. It was useful, he thought, to have spent some elective credits on two years in the drama department at the university. His concerned, paternal, caring expression and assurances of safety contrasted well with the plaintive wail of the seer. Context, of course, needed to be established. These poor souls had come to him after meeting nothing but deaf ears in the wired medical community, and at last they were receiving the consideration they required. Once enough definitive lab footage was acquired... It would be a small matter to film his preamble explaining what it was the viewer was about to see. Getting it into the wire was the tricky part. That would come in time, and not a moment sooner. The corner of Barrett's display showed the familiar figure in the hallway. A keystroke unlocked the door. Dr. Barrett. Mr. Foch, what news? The Seltons have been spotted in Memphis at the VEF safe house. The doctor released a breath he wasn't aware he had been holding. Very good. What's the outlook? Foch shifted his weight a bit. Nervously, it seemed to Barrett. He turned to face him full on. Something unusual? Our source doesn't have definitive intel on the transport plans. However, he did capture these images. Foch approached the desk with a notepad. A selection of thumbnail images hovered on its surface. Barrett's fingertip alighted on the first one, which came up in full resolution. He paused, keeping his poker face intact. He wondered how much Foch knew about what these pictures meant. One way to find out. And? Facial recognition matches the subject speaking with Harry Selden as Dr. Gabriella Neithart. This fellow is a life cast sighting. Earlier today. So, what does the BDF say? The BDF doesn't like it. Ha! <laughs> I'll bet they don't. And what's their analysis? Indeterminate threat. Contact observed, but no capture. They want to round up some VEF officials. Find out if the Seldons are working with Washington. That won't be necessary. I'll put in a call to Weiss. Make sure cooler heads prevail. Thank you, Mr. Foch. The little man lingered a moment. Unusual for him, Barrett thought. Is there something else? No, sir. You think there's a connection? It is an extremely rare event, sir. Dr. Neithard has never come up on facial recognition. And now, two sightings today, 
in different cities. She's playing us. Every action is exactly what she wants. Sowing panic and discord among rewired factions. You can see how that would benefit Washington, especially now. Foch nodded slowly. Barrett cocked his head at the tin soldier. What do you think is going on? Well, no capture either means Washington doesn't see them as a threat. Or? Or that the targets become more valuable the closer they get to the destination. Which is perhaps itself the target. To which Vincent and Golding are already en route. I see you've got a hold of the right end of the stick. So, why the additional risk? Why indeed. And what purpose would it serve the VEF to assist Washington? BDF doesn't know. And stirring up a hornet's nest will not make them any the wiser. It will only strengthen the VEF's resolve to see the BDF as the enemy. Which helps no one but the Wyatts. Foch nodded, faintly more at ease than before. Barrett leaned back in his chair and appraised him. You've no doubt heard that Dr. Nightheart and I have history. You were partners at the lab. Barrett raised his eyebrows. And, of course, there are always rumors. Yes, there would be. Barrett put on his glasses and eyed the young man. Loyal as he was, this turn had clearly left him unsteady. That wouldn't do. I know Dr. Nightheart better than anyone in Brooklyn does. And I dare say better than most people in the world ever can. While a brilliant scientist, she is not the vaunted enigma the rewired world has made of her. She is a human being. And in the end, her craving for creature comforts turn her from our cause and towards the reassuring bosom of the corporations. She is, in fact, the only one of the original Austin team who abandoned our vision and sought shelter in the status quo. This makes her not vague and inscrutable, but eminently predictable. Her loyalties are clear, and any actions she takes should be analyzed in that light. It is true that she has spent many years in hiding, and that her sudden surfacing at this juncture is indeed strategically significant. But I'm sure you can venture a guess as to why that is so. Foch stood silently, taking in the speech. He seemed somewhat awestruck, this was the most one-on-one -on -one attention Barrett had ever given him, and certainly his first attempt at persuasion. From what Barrett could tell, it was working. The unfolding events represent a threat to the status quo. The defenders of that battlement will stop at nothing to prevent its breach. Dr. Nightheart's appearance at this late hour only serves as proof of their desperation. They need to know what Dr. Dalal is doing and they are loath to endanger the opportunity to find out. With respect, sir, what is Dr. Dalal doing? All in good time, Mr. Foch. Suffice it to say that unlike Dr. Nightheart, my old friend Wayland's heir has kept his loyalties in the family. Take comfort in that, and know that you will have your answer soon enough. Yes, sir. Foch clicked a heel and marched off through the door. A much less tentative step than earlier, Barrett surmised. Good. He clicked the comm for Weiss's assistant. Jackboots were not desirable at this point in the game, as his detailed message for the sleeping chairman made clear. This was to be passed on to several other key council members as well. Having been relieved of that particular tension, Barrett decided it was playtime. Browsing the surveillance images from Memphis, he had to admit the woman still had it, after all these years. Of course she did, he thought. Everyone who left that lab took something with them. 
good luck getting rid of it. He selected a picture that featured a particularly intense Gabriella gaze opposite Selden's slovenly offspring. That ought to set the old boy off, he mused, attaching it and a shot of the sergeant at the bar to an email with no subject line. He'd forgotten what fun it was to pull Lily's strings, exposed as they were to any observant passerby. Having hit send, he logged off and headed for bed, smiling all the way. In his more honest moments, Waylon Lilly was sure he should have been an archivist. A meticulous note-taker, he possessed what he was fairly certain could be the most examined body of scientific work in modern history. It was a corpus that now blanketed every open space in his house. And yet the eyes which now read it, which had created the bounty, were useless in its interpretation. How much better it would have been for these books to be lost, like Thomas Jefferson's library, and discovered anew by fresh eyes. He lent volumes to Arshad regularly now, but only one at a time. It made no sense. Lily wanted to see the big picture that was certainly right there in front of him, but he became increasingly aware he was not altogether comfortable with the idea of someone else seeing it. What harm could there be? What court could place him in a prison more complete than that which he currently occupied? And how could he possibly answer that unless he knew what would ultimately be found? Eyes scanning a notebook, his hand cast around vainly for the box of joints. Irritated, he looked over. They had fallen behind the goddamn couch. He shoved the weighty pile of books aside and got up to find another carton. The lights in the living room were the only ones on, and his eyes took a moment to adjust to the deep night pouring in through the kitchen window. He braced himself with both arms against the kitchen counter and rested his head on the cabinet. This was stupid, he thought for the twelfth time that night. Bring our shot in tomorrow and go through everything together. He's going to have to take over all this shit one day anyway. Yes, but by then you won't be around to watch the poor bastard's heart stop when he finds out what a fucking lunatic you are. As if that were a mystery, he countered. To himself. The only other person in the room. Because he was a lunatic. Trouble was, he was far from being the only nut job on the loose. He eyed the sleeping data display warily. What fresh hell lay in his neglected queue? He shuddered to think. And yet, grabbing a new pack of wizard people, he lit one up as he thumbed the display on. The queue bulged as expected. And look, right there on the top. Dr. Antichrist 23B, won't you be my neighbor, he thought bitterly. An attachment, even. This would be good. That was as far as his bemusement got. Time seemed to stop had stopped, must have, because there she was. There wasn't a picture of her he hadn't seen a million times over the past 28 years, until now. Unconsciously, he snuffed out the joint and just stared. This was real. He was practiced at spotting fake work. Gabriella. Still the same eyes. He willed them to look in his direction, but they would not turn. The way she was gazing at... Who was that? Selden's companion? Where was this? When? He resisted the urge to fire back with questions. Barrett knew what he was doing when he sent this. Fuck, he thought. Levine had to be monitoring his connection. Haley would know soon enough. This wasn't how it was supposed to go. 
Now what precisely was supposed to go, he asked himself. The great reconciliation? His return to something approaching a life of the living? Love's labors won? Idiot, he thought. She wants something. No more, no less. And yet, it was odd, this flagrant public appearance. Something had changed. The thought panicked him. Had she led Selden into wired custody? Or was she coming with him, here? He wasn't sure which would be worse. Lily blinked and shook his head. He had to call Haley. No, he had to get more data from Barrett. The picture wasn't a story, it was a provocation. Barrett knew where this came from, and Haley needed that intel. Haley and Levine already had the picture, doubtless very little else. That was his job, his mission. Gabriella wasn't in the picture, she was the picture. She did what she did, was what she was, and trying to make her do or be anything else was pissing in the wind. He knew that better than anyone. Still, he had to admit it was good to see her. Fuck it, he cursed to himself, and hit reply. Where and when? He clicked send. Several moments went by, the night ticking away nonchalantly, as if all of human existence didn't depend on what was transpiring in this tiny nook of the net. The glare from the light in the living room reminded him of everything he needed to be doing rather than staring at the screen waiting for Barrett to fuck with him again, if he was even awake. Levine, however, would be up within hours, and was considerably more reliable. Lily turned to the telegraph machine, Haley's preferred mode of communication. His Morse cheat sheet was tacked to the wall. He sent a message. If you've got info about the ASP that I don't, send it this way. You know why. As satisfied as he was going to get, he backed slowly away from the display and re-entered his dusty past. It had been bothering him already, even before the image. But now it was burning a hole through his mind. In what possible universe would both Barrett and Gabriella have an interest in sending high-powered Vorn seers to him? He reviewed the chronology. Seldon leaves Brooklyn. HPL gets cracked and leaks shoes videos. Second seer bogey leaves Brooklyn. Gabriella tracks down Selden. But was that the beginning? He thought back. Prior to the Selden jailbreak was the ODA proliferation. That had to be a piece of it. And the dampening field, which made Selden's trip possible. The thing that didn't hold together in all this was Barrett. He had access both to an ODA and a dampening field. If he wanted to try something, why not do it in his own lab? There was something he had to gain by bringing Gabriella and the wires in on it. Lily could only stand in horrified contemplation of what that could be. And why was he calling attention to her involvement? The prize he seemed to seek had to be great, but his tactics were right out of junior high. Had the bastard finally cracked and started regressing? No, Barrett was succeeding in doing precisely what he intended throwing Lily off balance so he couldn't work out what the hell was going on. He needed another set of eyes. Another brain. He sat down at the telegraph again and sent a note to Arshad. Clear your schedule from noon tomorrow till whenever and come over to the house. Orders from Haley. Well, there weren't orders yet, but there would be. And with that in mind, he set an alarm for mid-morning and shuffled off to bed. San Angelo would be calling earlier than he would like, and he wanted to at least have his pants on when Arshad arrived. He took a downer in hopes of sleep. As usual, he left the blinds open. Lying awake in bed, he felt it again. Almost saw it out there on the prairie. Something moved in the darkness. 
It was coming for him. It was almost here. The dash clock read 2.05 a.m. Nina noticed this because the tiny beacon was one of the only sources of light she had seen for quite some time. They had skirted well north of the Dallas-Fort Worth megalopolis, through towns with hick names and one traffic light apiece. Mist's insistence that he'd been through here many times before was the only comfort she could take. The boondocks were terrifying to her city-bred instincts. Miles and miles of fenced-off land for anyone to build barns full of cages housing unlucky kidnap victims who wandered too far off the map. That stuff happened, she had read about it. In the city, at least, someone might hear a cry for help. Out here, it was you, the crickets, and Buffalo Bill. Miss said he was taking the back roads, but Nina had a hard time believing there were any front roads in these places. She could tell Vincent was nervous, too, which didn't help. The old man had turned off the radio when they left the paved road a few miles back and was quietly humming to himself. Nina prayed to whatever gods who might hold sway in these parts that she had judged his character correctly. As they bumped across loose rocks and truck tire trenches in the blackness, she saw a faint glow ahead. The light emanated from a set of rough-hewn windows set into what must have been a house, the first they'd seen in miles, although she couldn't see its outline for the scrubby pine trees. The closer they got, she could make out the silhouette of an old pickup truck in front. Pulling up next to the beat-up jalopy, Miss headlights illuminated the wooden house. That is not a banjo on the front porch. The hell it ain't. My man Ricky can play anything with strings. How come everybody you know is a musician? If you don't follow trouble, what you gonna write songs about? The light increased slightly as the front door opened, silhouetting the shape of a tall, rangy man with no coat on, just overalls and a thermal shirt. Figured it was you, Shadow Man. Excuse me? Ain't nobody around here ever seen him in broad daylight, and half the time I think he's a figment. You see my sweet ride in good light? I'd have to fight you for it. Shit. Guess y'all ought to come in since you made the driving all. That's right, Danny. Let him have it. Strangers in the night come for all my worldly possessions. Nina bent down and let the dog sniff her hand. The wrinkled nose snuffled at her briefly. A tail wag indicated satisfaction with her identity as an approved person. Standing slowly, she scanned the room. Lots of camouflage. Guitars and other instruments lying around on random worn surfaces. Guns on hooks. A black flag poster. Unexpected. Ricky Cutler. Good to meet you. Now that she saw him in the light, she could tell he was no ordinary country boy. A glimmer of mischief twinkled in his eyes. His sleeves were pushed up and there was a skater-die skull tattoo on one forearm. He exchanged a handshake with Vincent. I would ask for your bona fides, but if you're here with the Shadow Man, you gotta be my kind of trouble. Are you VEF? I ain't anything. Seen lots of weird shit, but I never was good at picking sides. I could show you a few things. Hell, I bet you could. <sighs> he offered his joint to Nina. She politely and reluctantly declined. Reckon you're headed for the fort? Ricky here is the main reason nobody knows about this route. Nina eyed the gun rack. She could imagine. I bought this land when it wasn't split by any borders. 
The reclamation could have hunk off, but I guess I didn't need it anyway. I take it you have a deal with the Border Patrol? I wouldn't call it a deal. They put their surveillance gear out there a couple decades ago and didn't really ask me. They don't ever notice when I knock it offline for a couple minutes here and there. We had word that the line was tightening. Danny, you hear any revenues bumping around in the yard this week? <laughs> like I said, it's a long border. The line can't be everywhere. This is one of those spots where they don't bother to send patrols since nobody comes out here. Shadowman's as nobody as it gets. He passed Mist the joint. Taking a pull at the old man then brought it over to Nina. Conspicuously, Vincent rolled her eyes and leaned back, resigned. Nina had never smoked anything before. She held the burning tube gently and took a drag like she'd seen the men doing. <coughs> Miss stepped back to his side of the couch and allowed her some privacy while she coughed a bit of the stuff up. After a few minutes, she tried again. Shortly, any remaining edge which the backwoods encounter still held was shaved off, and she relaxed. The dog stared at her dumbly, and she stared back. So what's our timetable? Up to you, really. I can hit the hiccup button on the border cans any time. Y'all are free to get some shut-eye. I got a guest bedroom for just such an occasion. Sleeping bags are clean. Nothing had ever sounded so appealing to Nina. She got up, or thought she did, till she realized she was still sitting down. Ricky winked at mist. Definitely bedtime for the little lady. She was aware of a gas heater, a squeaky cot, zippered flannel, and little else. Voices from the living room rumbled in the distance. Mist's comforting rasp, Ricky's barrel-aged drawl, even Vincent's stony drone. It was so much different than the war zone she had been bracing for. She had a hard time imagining what lay on the other side of the line, but then she was beginning to feel that life was much more interesting when you didn't know what was coming. And there was plenty of time tomorrow to die horribly in some unforeseen way. It occurred to her that the dog had propped himself up in the bedroom doorframe facing outwards. She smiled, drifting out of consciousness. At least someone thought she was worth protecting. At their best, the borderlands separating the San Angelo and Abilene territories were not terribly photogenic. In the bleak February morning light, through the windows of Colonel Haley's armored truck, they looked like a nuclear wasteland. He rode shotgun, leaving the driving to Major Levine, who sipped coffee from a shiny steel thermos. The sun had barely been up when he got the call. The ping from Cutler had come into the office so early that even Levine hadn't been there yet. No details, as usual just a beep on the wire. That was all they needed to know for now. Ordinarily, Haley would have sent pickup orders to Lieutenant Graham in Stephenville, which he did, but only after they were en route. Graham was to meet them there around noon with her best squad. What the hell are we gonna do when that crazy skate-punk bastard Cutler dies? Put another man out there, I guess. Although I'm not entirely sure who he'll deed the land to. He's got a kid, but nobody knows where he is. If he's anything like the old man, someone's probably already shot him. This is why I don't believe in the odds. True. Cutler's got those beats so far. Although he was a tremendous help to the Republic, Ricky Cutler had an anti-authoritarian streak that put him into full-out asshole mode any time he had to speak with an army official. Apparently he wasn't sufficiently impressed with Haley's brand of rebellion, and showed it. 
Blessedly, they'd never had much opportunity to talk. Otherwise, the colonel might have throttled him by now. So have we. If chance will have me king, why, chance may crown me, without my stir. I didn't know you were paying attention. Macbeth was much shorter than Hamlet. In addition to his aggressive promotion of recreational fishing, Haley had also authorized an annual Shakespeare production in the base auditorium. Although most of the cast were civilians, a few soldiers proved themselves to be passable actors as well. For his part, the Major was an excellent costume designer. You should audition for the lead when we do King Lear. I want to be acting. You're a walking advertisement for self-education. The word is autodidacticism, and yes, I believe firmly in it. Although I can't claim to have remapped the human brain or anything. Not directly. But that breakthrough wouldn't have lasted long without you. It may not last long regardless. I don't like all this Nightheart business. Still no significant troop movements on the other side of the Fort Walters line. Whatever's coming through, it doesn't have a military escort. That's what the Trojans said when they wheeled in that big-ass wooden horse. Levine remained silent. They both agreed that something unusual was afoot. That part was obvious. Solving the riddle, that was harder. Speculating too wildly at this stage was only going to escalate events at a more rapid clip. A cop in an Abilene Territory patrol car saluted them as they passed beneath the former Interstate 20 overpass south of Mineral Wells. They returned the gesture. Haley didn't like being this close to the line, even under ordinary circumstances. It was inconceivable that there weren't Washington spies on his base, and he knew he would be a prize for bounty hunters. But his cruiser was checked regularly for tracking devices, and this morning's trip hadn't been widely publicized. Which was why it was something of a shock when finally pulling up the gates of the rotting Fort Walters base, they spotted a familiar camouflaged hulk stepping out of a jacked-up truck. Jeff Horton, founder and head of the Abilene chapter of the Vorn Elimination Front. Haley felt for his sidearm. Even in ordinary circumstances, Horton was a loon. With Selden on the way in the care of the VEF, Haley could not accurately predict his behavior. He heard the safety on Levine's pistol snap. They were in agreement. Until Graham got there with her men, everything was on the table. As if reading their minds, Horton approached their armored vehicle with his hands in the air. Haley saw another man in the truck, sitting motionless. The colonel scanned the surrounding bushes before lowering his window. Morning. What can I do for you, Mr. Horton? We made sure to wait till you got here. I suppose I shouldn't be surprised that you've got a mole in my office. I just want to help. VEF has gone to a lot of trouble to get this cargo here. It's my responsibility to make sure they're safe. Well, it's my responsibility to make sure that whatever comes through that gate doesn't threaten this republic. My men will take immediate custody of the fugitives and they will be debriefed. Colonel Haley, with all due respect... If they are found to pose no threat, the VEF may be allowed to interview them. And then only under Army supervision. Is that clear? Sir, I appreciate your position, but Governor Milam has ensured me that... Governor Milam is not in charge of my army. Nor has he given my office any notification that the rules of border transit have been changed. The Republic Army is the first point of contact for all wired refugees. You know that as well as I do. Horton was now breathing heavy, flustered. He turned to the man in the truck and threw up his hand, shaking his head. Am I to understand that the VEF has personnel positioned throughout the entry zone? In direct contradiction of Republic law? This situation is not normal. I have a signed letter from the governor authorizing the VEF to secure the area. Haley looked as if he might spit on the pitiful sheet of gold leaf stationery. He grabbed the letter, gave it one second's glance, and threw it back at Horton. I am the commander-in-chief of the Republic of Texas Army. 
My authority derives from the Constitution and the combined oversight of the Governor's Council, of which Governor Milam is only one-fifth. Unless I hear from at least two other governors in the next 10 minutes, I want your men out of that zone and out here where I can see them, and where they will not be at risk of endangering my soldiers. Your soldiers have left this gate unguarded. Anyone could be coming through here. You'd never know it. The colonel felt the urge to leap out and slap the son of a bitch. But the woods teemed with Vorn hunting zealots, and he had no backup yet. He cursed himself for not seeing this coming. Mineral Wells PD has the area well in hand, always has. But I guess you scared them out of your way with your little magic scroll. They listen to their elected leaders. And so do I. Which is why I'm not taking you into preventative detention right now. You really don't understand. I have this area completely staked out. We are at war here, and this is ground zero. You don't think I know about war? What the fuck were you doing while Washington was trying to abort the reclamation? Fighting wars is a damn sight harder than peddling kitty porn, you ignorant sack of shit. The big man took a step back. The colonel had waited a long time to use that one. He was glad to see it had the effect he'd hoped. You know how wars get lost, Mr. Horton? Lack of communication. Now, if my men go in there and they see a bunch of idiots running around with assault rifles, they're going to ask me if they're friendlies. And if I don't know, I'm going to give them a kill order. So it's up to you. And before you decide, you might want to have a look at my track record. Now get out of my face and get your people out of my goddamn way. With that, he rolled up the window. Horton stomped back to his truck, cursing loudly and waving his arms at the driver. How many? Two behind the plants are on the left. One in the tree to your right. Damn. Concho, this is Cottonmouth. Over. Concho here. Over. Additional units required at engagement point Foxtrot Whiskey. Two platoons. Please advise as the ETA. Over. Roger that. ETA for Squad Alpha. One minute. Over. That was a relief, thought Haley. There was a pause as Lieutenant Graham conferred with the base in Stephenville, one hour away. Haley hoped there were field units closer. He dared not request anything be pulled from the line post towards Weatherford. For all he knew, that was a piece of the murky strategy looming across the border. Cottonmouth. ETA for additional requested units, 30 minutes. Over. Must have some patrols out, since we heightened the alert level. Roger that, Concho. Cottonmouth out. He caught sight of two personnel carriers approaching in his side mirror. Graham's squad. If Horton wants to make a stand, we have to stall until we're covered. The camouflaged army carriers pulled up on either side of Haley's vehicle. He waved to Graham, indicating his radio. Horton was on his own CB across the way, gesticulating frantically. Cottonmouth. Concho here. We got trouble, sir? Not if they have any sense we don't. <laughs> then we have trouble. The flinty young officer had borne the brunt of most VEF encounters in this region. She was small, but she'd backed Horton up against a wall more than once. Mineral Wells PD says Horton thinks he's getting some kind of super weapon out of this? Not on my watch, he isn't. Are you plugged into the camera grid? Yes, sir. No motion. Check the timers on the feed. One hour behind, sir. On a loop. Haley shook his head. He'd been blinded by the threat from the outside. He hadn't thought that the biggest danger could jump up from within. I can only hope that Cutler's visitors are not coming through that zone in the next 30 minutes. The VEF will have to come through us, sir. Haley drew a deep breath. That thought wasn't much comfort. Concho, get Governor Milam on the line. Pronto.
You've been listening to the Naive Theater of the Air performance of Rewired, featuring Dan Herman as Eugene Foch, Derek Davis as Dr. James Barrett, Ed Rogers as Dr. Waylon Lilly, Trista Morris as Nina, Benjamin Napier as Mist, Stephen Prigmore as Ricky Cutler, Mana as Dr. Romana Vincent, Keegan McEnroe as Colonel Levi Haley, Antonio Thomas as Major Curtis Levine, Ian Mead Moore as Jeff Horton, and Hillary Tipps as Lieutenant Stacy Graham, written and narrated by Matthew Broyles. Theme music by Paul Shapira. I'm Little Jack Melody. Tune in next time for episode 14, Rules of Engagement. <laughs> <laughs>